1: to Slim, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And if you're wondering where my beloved, wonderful co-host Rachel is, I have some news. I have some news. She is on jury duty, not the show, but she is serving her civic duty. And in place, we have another person who is serving their civic duty, one of ICYMI's favorite original Avengers, and that is Slate culture writer Nadir Goff, Hello, Nadira. Hi, I'm so excited to be here on mic with you. Finally, finally, finally. I know. This is our first time on the podcast together, which is like funny because I've listened to you on the podcast more than I've listened to me on the podcast. So (laughs) I'm actually a fan of you. Um, I'm just really excited to hear about what you've been up to lately because you're in the culture. So let's start off very easy. How was your weekend? What did you do? What did you consume?
2: Okay, this weekend, I went back home to Philly, and um, part of a freeway collapsed.
1: (gasps) I heard about this! Okay, how did... Are you okay? Does that affect you I'm at all? okay.
2: Suffice to say, I was not on I-95 when a portion of it collapsed, and mm. no one got hurt, which is really surprising. Okay. But that is a sort of uh, discourse that dominated my weekend, including all of the jokes on Twitter made about that. But yeah, I was in Philly, and I watched a lot of Ultimatum Queer Love, watched a <laughs> lot of Never Have I Ever, the final season of <gasps> Never Have I Ever. Yes! I washed my hair, which took a whole day. You know, Goodness. I did the usual, the usual things.
1: Okay, I mean, this is great. So I did one of those things, which is I also started Never Have I Ever season four. I love this show. I will say something I realized about myself is that I am one of those people that Netflix needs to make recaps for because I walked into this season immediately going, who's Margot? Who's Addison? Who's that? Why is the dude from Love, Victor, here? Just so many questions, but so far, how do you feel about the season?
2: I feel good. I think my opinion of that show is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe one of the better Mindy Kaling offerings. But with that being said, there are certain parts of it that still deeply aggravate me. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I do have to say I hate watch that show, but I think that it wrapped up in a way that was actually really satisfying by the end of it all. Um and I think because it's so sort of bonkers when I forget stuff I'm just like yeah that's fine who needs to know who that person is you know
1: exactly I mean I think what I'm realizing is that never have I ever to me, feels like candy when I watch it. There's just something very sweet and colorful and just like Mm -hmm. high saturation that I love about it. But I also really, really associate it as a summer show. It usually comes out around summer. They sometimes do little things about like, ooh, summer vacation, hooked up with Paxton. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes me think about something I'm always excited for, which is the best songs of the summer now nadira it is early june so we have not even gotten the barbie soundtrack yet so i'm really only speaking from an early perspective but i wanted to ask do you have a nomination for your own song of the summer
2: Okay, so what's really funny is you pose this question to me, mm. saying, you know, I'm going to ask you this, if you have any ideas, you know, it's a simple question, and I was like, girl, you do not, this is not simple <laughs> to me. <laughs> like, if there's one thing to know about me, it's that I take these sorts of things very, very seriously. Which is good. And so I was trying to think of my sort of quintessential summer song so far, and I ended up with a list of at least six or seven songs, but I do think that I settled on one. So I'm just going to rattle through a couple of the nominations, nominees really quickly. Okay. I would say that in my seventh spot, there is a musician named Rasha Rami, who I had only recently just heard of a couple of weeks ago. And i don't know much about their music, but they have a song called "Turn Me On." Dot Virus that is very cute, very good, very sort of electronic house based. I was into it. I think right after that for me slides in the Catronata Aminé <sighs> collaboration, Catrmine and yes. their song "Suss Up," which I think is a bop and features. Amari, and they're going to, you know, come back into this list. I think after that, for me, I think Ice Spice is just undeniable. Like, Mm -hmm. at this point, between Boys of Part 2 and uh, Princess Diana with Nicki Minaj, those two have to be considered, although they did come out a little bit too early to really be sort of hits of the summer. Like, I think their steam has sort of worn off a little bit. Janelle Monae's new album just came out. The song Mm -hmm. Float on the album, which I believe might be the first track to me, is also a very, very great summer track. The Beyonce Kendrick Lamar remix of America has a problem I think might mm. be my number two I it's that is really she does it she does it every time and I was trying to not always bring Beyonce into the conversation Actually, am I? but sometimes <laughs> it just can't be helped like if the girl's gonna pop off she's gonna pop <laughs> off so there's her but I think for me Amari her new album just came out only a few days ago and it's very, very good, and it's full of some really, really awesome summery bops. For me, the song Co-Star on the album is probably what I would say is my identifying song of the summer right now. It's full of a lot of really, really fun horoscope astrology puns and punchlines that I think are very zillennial, Gen Z, hot girl online coded. (laughs) And it's a song that, you know, would maybe take some deciphering to someone who isn't familiar with that, like, internet culture or just life culture of being obsessed with astrology in this Asian time the way a lot of us are, the way a lot of this generation is. But I think it's really, really fun it's It's kind of a song that's made for a specific time and for a specific group, but it also is still a bop, and so therefore, I think that is so far my song of the summer. But I'm still waiting for the quintessential song that sounds like a summer song that has a catchy hook that is simple but still fun. You know, I'm still waiting for that moment
1: first off, guys. Nadira just rattled off probably one of the best playlists of the year so far we'll work, we'll, we'll think about making a little compilation album, but I will just say that Nadir is also the smartest person here because she basically already said, my pick for Song of the Summer is Forever by Kate Tremine, featuring Pharrell yeah. Williams. Say. I just think there is something so fruity and delicious and like light. And Kei Trinata is obviously one of the most high-demand producers right now. But Amine, mm-hmm. I have always been an Amine person. I miss him. I love you if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, but I love your picks, Nadira. I love them so much. And I think this is actually a very good like mini summer guide, maybe, to some things that our listeners might be interested in. But let's check back in. End of the summer. Let's see if you have any more songs to add. <laughs> Delete repeat perhaps we'll do it
2: i think for me usually Afrobeats and dance hall tends to take the summer so i'm still waiting for that crazy sort of thames blockbuster hit or something like that so yeah definitely we'll check in we'll check in
1: Exactly. And at the end of the day, there is one tenet I follow, which is that the song of the summer must make you want to shake your ass on a yacht. And I, too, Mm. am still searching for that song. So, Nadira, we will meet up. We'll have some creative minds. Very good uh, qualifying uh, criteria. (laughs) Exactly. But on today's show... We're going to talk about a comedian who's recently made the Twitter timeline crumble like he literally made people go to war with Ticketmaster and Master yet again. So after the break, Nadir and I are going to dive into the mystery of Matt Reif and the ticketing controversy surrounding his world tour.
0: And we're back. So,
1: Nadira, you wrote a very good article for Slate.com. It's called, Who or What is a Matt Rife," Which, fantastic headline, by the way. I want to start off by just asking you, can you tell us how the story came to you or, like, why you decided to write it? I can, because I think it's a very
2: funny story, or at least it is to me. So, I'm someone who was just generally aware of Matt Reif before these past few four or five months, I'd say. But bits of his shows, his smaller shows at comedy clubs that he was posting online really started to get picked up by my Instagram algorithm in particular. Not even my TikTok algorithm, but my Instagram algorithm. And I became... A fan of his, you know, and I really loved the bits that he was putting online. And so I watched them more often. I started sending them more and more to specific friends. And one of my friends texted me one morning and was like, could you believe that one of my friends spent $900 for two tickets to see Matt Rife? And I said, whoa, 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 what, who, why, I'm going to need you to break this down for me, where were the tickets, was this dynamic pricing, was this resale, what tickets even, because I saw that he had had an announcement prior, but missed the announcement, so I didn't even know he was going on tour, and so I was very confused, and so we're having that conversation right before I get to work, I get into work, I go on Twitter, which is one of the first things I do every day, because mm-hmm. I'm a culture journalist. Mm-hmm. The first thing I see on Twitter are all of these people talking about how angry they are at Ticketmaster, and some of them how angry they are at Matt Reif for this entire scandal that was going on with his tickets to this tour. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is a sign. The universe wants me to write about this guy, to spread the word about this guy. The universe wants me to investigate what is going on here here and investigate, I did. Because I, too, was very baffled that my Twitter feed could be taken over by Matt Reif fans. It just wasn't anything that I had had in the cards. And I say this as someone who is a fan of his.
1: There is so much to unpack in this rich text, Nadira. Uh, (laughs) First off, how do we feel about calling this community the Ryfians? The Riffians. I think it's the Ryfethians. It's the two oh.
2: Fs that really... <laughs> Yes. So shout out to Luke Winky, who is a writer at Slate, and he was the one who, in all of our work slack discussions of this wild phenomenon that was unfolding in front of us, dubbed the fans Refefians. And there's something about the repeated F that yeah. really just, like, <laughs> you know, tickles my fancy. <laughs> I just think it's very silly and very fun.
1: Yeah, because it does make you stop. It makes you stop and think, like, am I actually putting in the work today. But I think we should maybe take a step back. Unfortunately, there are some people who don't know who Matt Rife is.
2: So basically, the history of Matt Rife is he's a comedian. He's from Ohio. He's 27. Mm-hmm. He started doing stand-up at 15. And then he was discovered by Nick Cannon doing a Nick Cannon joke online somewhere. You know, someone had posted a clip somewhere. And so Nick Cannon casted him on Wild and Out in about 2015. That gave him a lot of fame and a lot of mm-hmm. money. And well, I don't know about a lot, but more fame <laughs> and more money. And with that fame and money, he had a glow up and he was on wild and out for about two to three years, 2015 to about 2017 initially. And in that span of time, you can really see his physical appearance start to. I don't know any other word for it besides glow up, you know, start to improve generally by conventional standards because, you know, everyone's beautiful. I get that. But we we got to talk about the optics as they are, because yes. I think it's a really important part of his story. And so when he first started off on Wild and Out, he was scrawny. He had, you know, crooked teeth, yeah. whatever, whatever. By the time he leaves Wild N' Out to hop to another MTV title TRL and he was also on the challenge for a little bit mm-hmm. by the time he hops to TRL he's definitely been working out in the gym he and I said this in the piece but I just can't not say it but like in the words of our prophet Cardi B he got a bag and fixed his teeth mm-hmm. you know he did all of the things that people generally do when they get money and want to improve their appearance yeah and he's really well known for a clip from his early time in Wild N' Out when Zendaya was the Mm -hmm. guest contestant, I guess. And they're doing this bit where they're trying to do pickup lines that uh, make the other team captain spit out water that they're holding in their mouth. Yeah, And he comes up and he basically is trying to get Zendaya to spit this water out of her mouth. And he starts by making some sort of joke about some sort of pickup line, but then he actually legitimately and awkwardly tries to pick her up. Look, you're mixed, I wanna be black, let's make a lifestyle move. (laughs) Spit that
1: water out so I can get your number, please.
2: And he <laughs> tries to sort of drop this act and he invades her personal space and mm. it becomes this very well known moment on Wild and Out. And in that clip, you know, he is the sort of pre map rife and so how he looks then compared to how he looks now is very very different this is also a moment he will never live down he's asked about it constantly and so I think that that's hilarious because like that's literally Zendaya but anyway so that's who he was before he was on TRL only for about a year he goes back to wild and out for a little bit just like a year or two so this is maybe like 2017 2018 2019 now Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens in between the years of like 2019 2020 2021 I think he does a few self-produced specials of his own. Mm -hmm. But then about a year or two ago, he starts posting clips of his stand-up on social media, and they particularly start blowing up on TikTok. And now he's this, you know, white, hot, blue-eyed, curly-haired, lives-in-the-gym comedian (laughs) who makes a lot of specific types of jokes uh, that are blowing up on TikTok, that the girls seem to love, that girls want to date him, boys want to be him, whatever, whatever. He's this like hot young comedian that's popping up online and he really finds a lot, a lot, a lot of success online, like surprisingly.
1: To you, who does he come- of, like, remind you of because to me, he kind of strikes me as like a Pete Davidson type, yeah, a Jack Harlow kind of type. Yes, I
2: think the Jack Harlow thing is very apt, and it's yeah. funny that you mentioned Pete Davidson because not to sort of go back to his looks, but you know, at the tail end of that glow up again, we're talking 2015 to 2017 ish in 2017, he dates Kate Beckinsale mm. for about a year, and at the time he was 21, she was about twice his age. Mm -hmm. And they have this sort of on and off relationship for about a year. And then after they break up, Kate Beckinsale starts dating Pete Davidson Ah. and he gets Matt Reif gets approached by TMZ and he basically tells TMZ, you know, they're like, do you have any advice for Pete Davidson dating Kate Beckinsale or whatever? And he tells him to run. He tells Pete (laughs) Davidson to run from Kate Beckinsale. He says their relationship was complicated and then he advises that to, you know, just be careful, whatever, whatever. And so he really sort of Starts in one place and then ends up in an entirely different place. You know, now he's getting approached by TMZ. He can say things about, you need to run from a relationship with Kate Mm -hmm. Beckinsale, you know? Mm -hmm. He becomes this different type of person. And I think he definitely has this Jack Harlow, white boy swagger type of energy that's very interesting. But I think that there are a lot of people who are maybe more into comedy or follow comedy more that have compared him to this generation's version of Dane Cook. Cook, who was known for using MySpace and the internet to sort of, and who was, you know, conventionally attractive to sort of bend that internet space sure. to his particular type of comedy. And I'm not someone who's that familiar with Dane Cook, but there were enough people saying it that I thought, okay, this has to be maybe what the true comparison with him is.
1: I think what's interesting is that I, too, was not, let's say, comedically inclined during the Dane Cook era, the good luck Chuck era, (laughs) but I also think about the fact that I kind of find Dane Cook to be a comedian for men, like a comedian that's a yes. guy's guy. Let's yes. talk about la, 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 sex, dating, la, 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 which I think is kind of in the same repertoire of right. Matt Reif. But here's my thing that I think is interesting. I think Matt Reif has kind of become a comedian for the female gaze, where yeah. like women love this guy and he is pretty and I get it but I think in the same way Pete Davidson and Jack Harlow people have argued that they are you know characters created for women by women and so would we is it fair to give him like a bit of like an internet boyfriend status is he there yet?
2: Oh I think he's totally there I think he's maybe even beyond there the thing that I say in the piece because there's a lot of questioning about how he sort of blew up to the degree that he blew up and is he actually funny or is he just cute or whatever and I think you know, the thing that I said was that it's it's great to be funny and it's great to be hot, but it's lucky to be both. And I think that he mm. really actually is both, you know? And I think that that plays into him definitely becoming an internet boyfriend. I mean, some of the bits that he has that he posts on TikTok and Instagram, a lot of them are crowd work based bits um, which I think we might get into later about what his actual type of comedy is but just to say this he has a bit where he has this ongoing conversation with a woman in the audience who's Mm -hmm. a mother and he talks about the fact that she's hot and she being a fan of his showed up to his stand-up set, his special, his whatever it's called, with cookies. And yep. the, so like like the people are giving him gifts. Like women are showing up to these shows with gifts for him. And he's, you know, taking the gifts and making bits out of them and riffing off of them and starting this dialogue with a lucky girl in the audience, you know? And this bit goes so far. He ends up FaceTiming her daughter, saying mm-hmm. that, you know, did you know your mom is hot? Did you know you can't bring anyone home and she you know she's on FaceTime Mm -hmm. like I know I know and then they end up talking about the mom's breast implants and it it becomes a whole it's a whole (laughs) thing it like really (laughs) truly I could not have predicted where that bit would end from how it started and I think that that is definitely evidence of the fact that women that are his fans definitely see him as an internet boyfriend they see him as someone that they can talk to that they can converse with, you know, that they can actually have some sort of relationship with that breaks the boundary of even just parasocial.
1: This is such a good place we've come to. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive a little deeper into Matt's actual comedy. And I'm going to ask the pinnacle question. We're all wondering, is he actually funny?
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: Hey there. If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Sleep Plus. With Sleep Plus, there are no ads on any Slate podcasts and Slate Plus helps keep this podcast going because this show would not be possible without your support. With Slate Plus, you'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Slow Burn, Culture Gap Fest and Slate Money. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit Slate.com slash Plus to sign up. That's Slate.com slash Plus. And we're back with Slate culture writer, Nadira Goff. Now, we are deep in the Matt Reif hemisphere, and we're going to keep going. Now, Nadira, I think this might be a great time to talk a little bit about Matt's comedy and what he talks about. You previously mentioned crowd work. It seems he's very engaged, and there's a bit of an improv to it. But I actually wanted to ask, do you have like a favorite Matt Reif clip or something we can show the audience if they don't know who this dude is? I do. I really, really do. Okay. So, (laughs)
2: Matt Reif, I'm not as familiar with what he doesn't show online, because I obviously haven't paid to see him. You can see some earlier clips of his comedy, which are very traditional stand-up. He sets jokes up. He knocks out the punchline. You know, this is back when he was billing himself as the Justin Bieber of comedy, but we need not Mm. get into that. (laughs) But as he exists now, most people are familiar with his comedy online and what he chooses to show online are clips of his shows where he does a lot of crowd work. And so basically what he'll do is he'll solicit stories from people in the crowd about their dating history or their marriage or something like that. And he'll let them tell their story while making jokes about the sort of information that they give him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's involuntary. Sometimes he'll just do jokes because someone else called out to him without him asking for it. But he definitely prioritizes crowd work, at least in the clips that he shows online. And in one of my absolute favorite videos of his, this is the one that actually maybe really sold me into being a fan of his. He does this joke where he starts off by talking about how much joy he gets from... Black people thinking he's funny, specifically black men thinking he's funny. That's a black dude
1: for sure. I know a black dude's laugh. That's all I did all of February. I just fell asleep. The black dude's laughing, man. Like, that was my ASMR. That brings me such
2: joy. And there's someone in the audience who laughs. And he, (laughs) from the laugh, goes immediately. What's your name, bro? Tori, man. And so he starts talking to him. You know, he's like, Who are you? My name's Tori. Okay, Tori, who are you here with? And Tori stutters over the answer to Who are you here with?
3: Man, I've never been more sure somebody's with a side chick in my life. Black dudes answer you without even answering They really do. Who are you here with? Ah. What's that? I said we good. Ain't nobody's cameras out. You all right, man. You okay. <laughs> but don't start no shit, man, because I'll fucking, boom, got your ass, boom. Got you on camera, toy. Suspicious.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I hope I get a side chick someday. Just go do all the things I'm not supposed to in
3: public and shit. No side. One more time. No side, just the main. That's, the, that's your main girl? Yeah, you felt the need to reiterate that? you like, just to
2: make sure. And so as it's winding down, as they're like, okay, this is getting out of hand. Like, I think, you know, whatever. Then, you know, Tori's he finally speaks back up. He reinitiates the conversation or whatever. And he's like, you know, Matt, you almost got me in some trouble. And Matt's like, no, you almost got you in some mm-hmm. trouble. And, you know, Tori's like, okay, we can stop talking about this. Like, next question, next question, next question. And the punchline to the joke is that Matt Reif asks him, because they were talking about his dating history. Well, you
3: don't like talking about black history? <laughs>
2: And it's very, very funny as it plays out. And I've just never heard a white person tell a black history joke that I even would have remotely laughed at. But it's very funny to think about black history, not just in, you know, the sort of regular idea, but also in the history of like your dating history as a black person. And especially if you're shady about it. (laughs) I, I just think that that's hilarious. And it's Definitely indicative of the type of reaction he has with the crowd, which is that he's very quick on his feet. I don't know how much of that, you know, some of that could have been planned beforehand. He could have known, well, if there's a situation like this, then I can use this or whatever. But it seems like most of it was improv, which would definitely be a call out to his wild and out days. Mm-hmm. And, Yum. you know, it he's just very quick. He can come up with these responses that are very funny in in Miraculous Time. And I think a sort of caveat to that is that a lot of them are sex-related, dating-related, relationship-related. And so sometimes they can be a little juvenile. But it's funny, and it's funny to watch someone respond so quickly with, you know, puns or actual jokes or, you know, whatever the case may be.
1: I love that you use that word juvenile because, one, something I definitely notice is that Matt Reif is always, like, He's 27, but he doesn't look 27. Sometimes to me, he looks younger. Sometimes he's older. But the other thing is, if you watch this clip that Nadir is talking about, I have to assume with some journalism integrity that Matt uh, approves his own captions on his TikToks. And if you literally watch this video, instead of like he will say cuss words on stage and he will caption them as shit and fuck like yeah. S-H-I-D and F-U-G-G, which is just so funny to me because I'm like, oh, so you like hired a 12 year old to do your closed captioning. <laughs> I
2: mean, I think he I wouldn't be surprised if he just did that himself. There's something yeah. about him that seems particularly he yeah, he just rides the line between jokes that are very funny and somewhat elevated like the black history punchline or jokes that are just based on stereotypes that are kind of basic and sometimes land and sometimes don't you know and he can be very on and off that way but I do think that for the most part it's funny especially when the person in the audience is happily playing along another one of my favorites which is you know very quickly mention it he asks someone about their dating history and she says that she's seen a lot of guys do magic on dates and he's you know like what the what in the world <laughs> is that about and then you know it sort of gets into this Thing where someone else says, you know, we'll ask her what dating app she's on. He's like, yeah, what dating app are you on? Tada! And then he, you uh-huh. know, makes this whole entire thing about what it would be like to be on a dating app called Tada, which is just actually funny. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that sort of more elevated thing where he has some worse moments that are definitely very stereotype based, very juvenile. And I'm like, okay, we could have done with without this, without the sort of Muslim. Ah, jokes yeah, yeah, related, to so, you yeah, yeah. know, like that kind of thing, which is like you can be better because I've seen you be better. But also you're a white man who mostly makes jokes about sex and dating and relationships and who can't stop talking about how hot you are. So like maybe you can't, you know, like maybe my exactly. expectations are perhaps a little too high. You know, we're all complicated.
1: I mean, the standards are so low in 2023. And I think this is a good place to jump to the reason we are here and the reason you were called to the House of Rife, which is that last week... Matt has decided to announce that he is going on a over 115 date world tour and he is going to Australia, Canada, Europe,
2: Hawaii. Okay, first of all, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis for a second, but Ashton Kutcher was in his tour announcement and I was like, "What? what... Who did that booking? Truly, Wh- whomst did that booking? And how did? How are you on the level of fame or success where you can have Ashton Kutcher in your tour announcement? That is a tour of you know over a hundred dates. That is a world tour. I mean, I truly it felt like I had misunderstood just how powerful he was the yeah. entire time when I saw that tour announcement. But yes, he announces his tour. And things go uh, incredibly <laughs> downhill for for some dedicated fans. Yeah. From there,
1: this tour is called the Problematic Tour. Yes. So, for our very keen, very smart Icy, my listeners, I do think the question they want to ask is: How problematic is Matt Rife? Right.
2: And it's not zero, but it's not Dave Chappelle, which is a very, very wide range that I (laughs) just said. But he exists somewhere within there. So he has a lot of bits about being an ally and about, you know, these sort of progressive ideals that he does make lighthearted jokes about, you know, but he also hasn't had the cleanest past. He had some tweets from, I believe, 2011, 2012 that had some racist slurs, Mm -hmm. some homophobic slurs in them, and that were expressing anti-gay or homophobic sentiments in those tweets. Those tweets resurfaced in 2016. As far as I know, I could be wrong about this, but I searched and didn't find him saying any sort of response to that. And then again, during the sort of height of COVID and COVID awareness mm-hmm. when the cast for Parasite, which is obviously uh, mostly Korean, mm-hmm. it's an Asian cast, were at the Oscars. He made some jokes about the coronavirus and related to their appearance at the Oscars on Twitter, which he, again, didn't apologize for and I believe actually doubled down on like, you know, I'm just making jokes. This is this is just funny or whatever. And You know, it's – the tweets thing is not the best look for him. I don't think he's ever necessarily apologized. And then for some of his bits, like I said, you know, he's made some sort of questionable stereotype-based jokes about Muslim people, about Mm -hmm. all different types of people. And – for the most part, I, I'm pretty sure he sees himself as an equal opportunity jokester, right? Like sure. he'll make jokes about stereotypes based on anyone and so therefore it's okay, but that's not actually how power dynamics work. That's not actually how the world works. And there are people who, you know, if they comment in those clips that he posts on TikTok or Instagram saying, you know, I actually think this is racist or I actually don't think this is funny, he shuts them down pretty nonchalantly and pretty in a blasé manner, which goes to show that he, you know, I don't think he's ever apologized for anything that he's done so far, as far as I know. You know, maybe this exists and I'm wrong, but as far as I could tell, he he hasn't. But he also, you know, you can tell that he is not actually a horrible person. Like, you, you could tell these are jokes for the most part. And I think in terms of the 2011, 2012 stuff, I think he's definitely grown from that. Those were legitimately bad. And I think that he's definitely grown from that, just judging by his comedy nowadays. But you can tell that he, he doesn't intentionally set out to harm people, but he's not the most apologetic when he does or potentially does. So it's, I don't know, it's, you know, it's not the easiest clean cut situation.
1: Exactly. And I think something I'm also noticing is that, Matt Reif, his audience, the one who is paying uh, these $900 tickets to go see him (laughs) in Australia and stuff. You know, this is a female-backed audience coming to see him. But the thing is, Look at the Ashton Kutcher coming to his show, co-signing him and saying, believe in this bold person. Yes. I just think that the way he operates is from a male comic. And unfortunately, that is a type of role that has not changed at all. I mean, we're talking about someone who said his inspirations were... Dane Cook and Dave Chappelle. Yes. Right. These are two people who I don't know if they could pull off a 100 plus world tour right now. But unfortunately, that is kind of the gear he shifts in. And I do think that explains why he's not actually responding with productivity towards these things that he said that are bad. Yeah. I mean, he
2: is a himbo. I think that that's there just go. very much what it is. And yeah. himbos will himbo. And he's a funny himbo. So sometimes, you know, it's funny and you're like, oh, that's smart. That was a smart joke. But for the most part, he will resort to those tendencies when, you know, occasionally
1: or whenever he decides to. Exactly. And a himbo will always himbo to the top. Yeah, um, you know. But let's jump back to the tour. So... Yes. Talk to me a little bit about what went wrong. I'm hearing the words pre sale code. I'm hearing Ticketmaster. Help me help our listeners understand what's going on.
2: Yes. So Matt Reif announces his problematic tour and problematic being the title and not Mm -hmm. necessarily an adjective that we're using to describe (laughs) it because we don't know yet. It hasn't Mm -hmm. happened yet. Mm -hmm. And he announces that there will be a presale for tickets and everyone, you know, is ready. All of his fans are at the ready to get these tickets. What he ends up doing is he ends up publishing the presale code on all of his socials to Uh. anyone who sees it or who wants to Go. Sure. And what this does is, in my opinion, actually ultimately a positive thing, but in his case is actually a negative thing. And we can get into that too, but it levels the playing field. Anyone who wants to go to his tour, to his show, has to do the thing that we all are used to doing or grew up doing, which is getting in line virtually Mm -hmm. as early as possible to be as early in that queue as you can to get tickets because you know Presale codes at this point, especially on Ticketmaster, are usually a lottery-based system. Right. It's, it's a luck of the draw, whether you get the code or not. And that's unfair to a, lot, to a lot of people who have been diehard fans. You know, I'm going to finally mention those three brothers in a band that I love dearly. <laughs> the Jonas Brothers, <laughs> they recently did a sort of five nights in New York where yeah. they did a different one of their albums each night. And those tickets, those tickets on Ticketmaster were pre-sale sale code only there was oh. no general sale if you did not get a pre-sale code you did not get access to regular sale tickets and oh. I was one of those people and I have to say like as someone who was a fan of theirs for decades I was pissed I was mm. really upset and had they done something like level the playing field like mitigating all of the complaints that we have about the way Ticketmaster is unfair by releasing a pre-sale code I would have greatly appreciated that Mm -hmm. you know and so I think that that move was sort of revolutionary and I think is an interesting way to view concert goers or I guess rather actual musicians or people who are putting on shows it's a way to understand how they can sort of take those matters into buying their tickets and who shows up to their shows into their own hands and I kind of like that idea but in Matt Rife's case, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily the most positive thing because I found out by looking at some of his old tweets and some of the complaints that what he actually had done is he had canceled a number of smaller shows at different locations to move to a quote unquote bigger venue. Right. And so these people who had, let's say, $40, $50 VIP tickets in, I don't know, let's just say like. Akron or Indianapolis or wherever, now are, you know, past 2,000th in this queue for tickets that they actually can't get because Matt Reif published the presale codes online and there was such a high demand that no one was expecting for his show mm. that those queues and the ticket lines were incredibly long. And so imagine that you're someone who has a $40 VIP ticket at a smaller comedy club in your hometown to see a comedian you really, really love. That show gets canceled. Your ticket gets refunded. You're kind of bummed all because it's moving to a quote-unquote bigger venue. You finally get the opportunity to get the tickets to the bigger venue. They're now more expensive, and you now can't get them because you're now, you know... And they're
1: expensive, right?
2: And they're expensive, yeah. They're, you know, at least twice the price, or if you are, you know, perhaps a victim of resale prices or perhaps a victim of dynamic pricing or you, you know, just want better seats, you know, then they're hundreds of dollars more.
1: I think he wrote about a fan who had, like, you know, VIP tickets for $40 show gets canceled pre-sale tickets are now 133 to 400 which is insane like you cannot buy the tickets you originally had and you're seat is worse and on top of that you know people were reporting these like massive glitches they're kicked out of the queue they're losing tickets because Ticketmaster claims those seats are available but they're not and you yeah. know reseller culture all this stuff I mean all of the things
2: that were happening for Taylor Swift surprised yes. to say were happening to Matt Rife fans yeah we're <laughs> trying to get tickets to this you know internet celebrities comedy special, you know, like, which Mm -hmm. is something that is baffling. I don't think anyone, particularly Ticketmaster, clearly, was expecting the demand for tickets to see him to be so high. And yeah, people were victims of all of the things that we've been talking about since the Taylor Swift Airs Tour tickets dropped. All of those things that Ticketmaster has done, you know, there were glitches that kicked people out of queues that wouldn't let them, you know, get into queues. There were... Glitches that happen to me all the time where, you know, you try and click on tickets that it says are available. And when you try to add them to your card, it's like, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, another fan got these before Mm -hmm. you did. And it's like, okay, well, why would you say they're available then? Yeah. All these things that made it really, really hard for fans to get tickets, on top of the fact that some of them were pissed because they already had tickets that they actually just, you know, couldn't use because the show changed and because he decided to level up in this way. And yeah, it became this sort of entire kerfuffle and everyone started complaining online. And then people who hadn't even heard of Matt Reif, because like, like, for real, for real, if you're not online and if you're not a girly who's into comedy or whatever, if, you, if you're if you not someone who used to watch Wild N' Out, then why would you know who he is? <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of people on Twitter were baffled when they logged onto Twitter and were like, who is this person that's trending and why are all these people so upset that they can't get tickets to see him i mean you really would think that he was on a sort of taylor swift level of fame or that he was putting on a sort of beyonce level show with the way that people on twitter were talking about him
1: i think what's so interesting too is that this is a world tour i had no idea he had fans outside of the northern american states
2: I mean, I guess this is one of those things where you, you're just kind of like the internet will internet, you know, the internet right. has no sort of well, it, it kind of does. But for our general purposes, it has no sort of bound geographical boundaries or borders. And so it, it is when you think about it, it makes sense that he would have fans in other countries. But I definitely identify him as someone who is American with a himbo American male sense of humor. And so, yeah, it's just very... I mean, the entire thing to me truly felt like I was in a dream or an alternate reality. But shout out to him. You know, I hope that he gets that bag and keeps winning. But it's baffling. It's weird.
1: It is weird. And, you know, I feel like what I'm learning from this moment and this conversation is that the U.S., some of our greatest exports include study abroad students, um... TikTok influencers and Mm -hmm. Matt Reif. That is what I'm learning.
2: Yes. I mean, (laughs) I guess, you know, Refefians stand up. Like, Refefians, Reif Hive, you know, I I guess this is your time to shine. Like I don't know. I'm excited to see the actual special that comes out of this. But this was definitely not what I had on my uh, bingo card for 2023. I can tell you that much.
1: Where did... Do you think Matt Reif goes from here? Because I just kind of don't know if I want to see more or less from him. But also, like, Nadira, I'm just so curious. Do you think he's actually funny? I do think he's funny. I
2: think that he's funny specifically when he's interacting with other people. Which is a part of the reason why I'm really interested to see whatever comes out of the special. I'm almost positive it will be taped. It is a world tour. Ashton Kutcher was in the announcement. There's no way that this isn't going to be taped for Netflix or... Comedy Central. Right, something like that. And so I'm interested to see where this ends up. But I think his future is definitely, you know could be more specials, like we said, with Netflix, Comedy Central, a, a streamer. It could be he could end up with his own sort of show where he, you know, has comedian friends on or where he does bits. Or I don't think he'll necessarily do sketch, but he could have his show right. that has sort of segmented uh, comedic elements to it or something like that. I could see him doing a show like that. But it's not as clear to me as, let's say, you know, Hassan Minhaj, who his trajectory From The Daily Show to, you know, having Patriot Act on Netflix to his special to me seemed very, very clear. And I am I was already baffled by the amount of people that love Matt Reif that I'm sure I will be baffled by whatever happens next for him.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, did Matt Reif really date Kate Beckinsale? And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com.
2: ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spradley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and Candace Slim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online.